Welcome to my podcast, How to Parent Peacefully. Join me, Pamela Query, Certified Hand-in-Hand Parenting Instructor, as I share with you the secrets to parenting with connection, not control. If you're ready to enjoy raising your children by creating a peaceful home where kids want to cooperate and you keep your cool, you're in the right place. You'll be inspired to create a peaceful and playful home without resorting to threats or bribes so that you can create lifelong connected relationships with your kids and support them to be happy, confident and peaceful. Welcome to this week's episode of podcast and today it's very exciting for me um it's hard to believe we are on episode 50 of the podcast so I wanted to do a little something to celebrate and I decided to um ask in my group my Facebook group peacefully parenting under eights um uh, some of the parents that I connect with there and um, you know to what questions they had and so this is a little question and answer session today to celebrate the 50th episode so um and I invite you if you have have listened to lots of the episodes or a few of the episodes and if you find any of them helpful at all I would absolutely love if you would consider sharing uh the this podcast or an episode from the podcast with a friend, with a family member, with somebody who you think it might be beneficial to, I would absolutely love for you to do that. Okay, so let's get started. So my first question um, is from Natasha, and she is asking about learning. So she has said, she has asked me, how do you re-motivate kids with the joy of learning during a slump? She goes on to say, my 13-year-old, my 13-year-old was always proud to come home with A's and B's, but before half term, his report was B's and C's and even a D. He was so disappointed in himself, and I felt I had failed as a mum. But through the tears, I'm hearing there are a couple of lads in the class making things difficult, so a lot more going on under the surface. Uh, I need help in how to support emotionally and educationally, please. So thank you, Natasha, for this question. And first up, I just have to say you are definitely you definitely have not failed your your son. You're definitely not a, um, a failure. And um, yeah, that obviously you have a really close relationship. Um, the fact that uh, you have spent some time with him and you have got underneath you, the first the first thing is that you were looking for a reason underneath the surface that what what's going on here he was doing well last term like what has changed something has clearly changed and um you have you have spent the time to connect with him and to talk to him about it and to really to go looking under the surface as to what's going on here and he's been able to share with you he's been able to share his emotions very vulnerably he's had a little cry about it and he shared with you that some of the some boys in the class are making things difficult for him so for me that is a big massive win as a parent that your child is willing to confide in you trust you enough to share this with you comes to you for help and support so for me that's you know that's a really really big win and it's a really definite sign that you have definitely not failed him in any way far from it far from it um so and uh yeah and then I suppose the next thing to say is um that you know that sounds like such a difficult situation for your son um, and of course he isn't able to do well in his exams if he's got other worries and things are hard for him in school and I just read this during the week um, there's a um, an, an educator called Mark Brackett who um, 
uh, I just saw a quote from his from his new book, and he said that uh, the three most important aspects of learning are attention, focus, and memory, and all of these are controlled by our emotions, not by our cognition. So I think this gets really overlooked in schools and um, by society at large, that so much of learning is emotion-based, that children need to feel safe. They need to feel safe um, in their school, in the relationships that they have in school um, and at home as well. Uh, you can really back that up at home um, too with emotional safety, that children really need to feel safe um, and to have good emotional intelligence and to um, to have their emotions validated and heard and accepted and acknowledged um, in order to, to in order to develop emotionally and whenever children are feeling safe and secure emotionally then learning flows from that they're they're able to um, pay attention well they're able to focus they're able to remember. So, um, and like, you know, I remember during the, the COVID lockdown and, um, and I think a lot of teachers, in fairness to them, really did get that, that the most important thing, there's no point in putting worksheets in front of children and trying to get them to do work whenever they're stressed, the parents around them are stressed. Uh, everybody was worried at the beginning, worried about COVID and what was going to happen. There was a lot of uncertainty and there was a lot of stress and that's not conducive to learning at all. Um, so, what was important then was to um, really focus on the um, on, on helping our children to feel safe and secure and loved um, and focus on their emotional development. And then from that, whenever they're in a good place, they'll be able to um, they'll be able to learn. So I think it's amazing, um, Natasha, that you have really pinpointed what's going on for your son. He's been able to um, verbalize that and he's been able to share that with you. Um, so and now your job is to do whatever you can to support him emotionally and whenever that those emotional pieces fall into place you know that he's got the intelligence he was getting A's and B's earlier um, it, it, earlier in the year or last year so you know that he's got the intelligence so the intelligence is not the problem it's the attention the focus and the memory um, which which flows from from his emotional development so whatever you can do um, I mean I, I, I'll leave that up to you in terms of uh, you know, approaching the school, um, asking about their bullying policy. I know that um, you'll, you know, that that's something that you will run with. Um, there's that side of it. I mean, and it's hard because you can advocate for him in the school, but, you know, you aren't in control of that school environment. So you can do what you can there to um, create that safe space for him in school um, any way you can by working with the school. And then the other side of that is what you can do for him at home, how you can support him emotionally at home. And look, you've, you're already doing it. You're already doing it. You're, um, you're talking to him. You're connecting with him. So the more connection you can pour in and um, the more time you can spend with him, just paying attention, just, you know, doing this, joining him, doing the things that he really loves. Um, and that that does two things, actually. First of all, um, you just spend time together. You have that warm connection together. That's really going to help him emotionally. Um, and then the second thing is when you do that, you really notice like what he's good at, um, what he enjoys doing, the, the, all the ways he's learning outside of school uh, and how, um, how rich his, his life is outside of school um, and what he really and whenever you can really see, you can really notice 
oh, he's really interested in, he's got real skills in this area and he's so good at this sport or activity or he's really enjoying, you know, look how well he can focus and concentrate you know, on, on his computer games or whatever it is that he enjoys doing. Um, and you can really start to see the goodness in him. And, and I know you do. And I know every parent sees the goodness in their child. But, you know, sometimes we can start to get pulled in by all these worries of what's going wrong and what's not right and what has to change. And really just looking at our children with these fresh eyes, spending time with them and really just valuing them for the person that they are. And that can go um, a, a long way in just our own belief in them. When we believe in our kids, that has a knock-on effect that they will believe in themselves so I think that's a really nice thing to do is just to to bump up the connection with him just so he feels safe and loved and accept it um, and you know take the focus off the academics for a little bit while he just regains his confidence um, and then the other thing I just wanted to say as well is that you know um, I think it's really it's hard for us as parents, but it's a it's a constant process for me um, to keep trusting my kids and keep trusting their journey and keep trusting who it is they're going to um, who, who it is they're going to be, or who, you know, what it is in life that is going to light them up and what they're going to be passionate about and doing what I can to support them emotionally so they can go in out into the world and achieve that. When we keep focusing on the emotional development, everything else will flow from there and we can't control who our children who, you know what our children uh, our child is going to do when they grow up like who they are and um, we can just support them with that and I like I love to think of it as like whenever um whenever you're whenever you have your child whenever your child comes to you um they're like a little seed and our job as parent is to is to is to nurture that seed and to create the right conditions for that seed to grow and flourish. Now, we don't know what that seed is going to turn into. And um, we don't know if it's going to be the most um, extravagant, extravagant, beautiful flower, or if it's going to be, you know, a little, a little small bush. We don't know what it's going to turn into and we can't change that. But what we can do is really nourish that seed so that um, child can really grow into whatever their potential is. We can, you know, we can't decide, you know, at, at age one or two or 10 or 15 or 20, you know, our child is going to be an engineer, they're going to be a doctor, they're going to be, you know, whatever it is. Um, all we can do is nourish the child that is in front of us so that they reach their full potential with the gifts and with the, um, the capabilities that they have and that they were born with. So, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I... That's what I think, um, and I'm sure you're doing so many of those things already. And the more you can really offer him connection, offer him warmth and love, the more he's going to um, flourish. And yeah, I, I I know that you are such a good parent, and that with your support that he is going to thrive. And so sending sending you so much love, sending him so much love through this difficult time. And um, yeah, I hope you can have some some conversations with the school and get that side of things sorted out for him. So thanks for asking, Natasha. I hope that is helpful. OK, um, the next question is I'm going to talk about is from Milena. And Milena has asked me, um, how can I motivate my kids age three and five to stay at the dinner table at least until they have finished eating? Um, without the constant ups and downs 
throwing cutlery on the floor several times per meal. Um, and then she goes on to say the problem is mostly with a very tired three-year-old after her full days at preschool. It's just chaotic. I suspect I need to change my expectations. Um, so Melina, I love your, thanks for asking this question and I love your insight. I love how you are looking beyond the behavior. So the behavior here is, um, you know, the, the chaos, the kids not sitting um, the dinner table when you want them to, and the throwing of the cutlery and all of those things. And so many parenting approaches focus on that behavior. How can we change that surface behavior um, without looking at the, the emotions underneath that are actually driving that behavior? So, um, and I love that you have already peeked under the, lifted up the hood and peeked under the, under the, under the hood to see what's really going on then, there. <clears throat> because our children are naturally cooperative and flexible and can listen to us whenever, um, whenever everything is in balance. So whenever things go out of balance, then that's when we run into difficulties. So you've already identified that here, that um, the problem is with a very tired three-year-old after a full day at preschool. So, um, so let's, so let's look at that. Um, and what I always like to ask is, you know, what is, so let's look beyond the behavior and what is my child showing me through this behavior? So can we decode his behavior in those moments? Um, and what, what your son is trying to show you is, um, that he's had a, he's had a long day. He's tired. Um, and whenever he's tired, like, first of all, he can't hold all those emotions in, he can't control, he doesn't have the same impulse control. So whenever he's tired, everything just, we, it's exactly the same for ourselves. When we're tired, everything doesn't go quite so well. Um, but the thing is, it's not just the fact of being tired, it's the fact that, you know, when children have these emotions bubbling under the surface, whenever they aren't tired, whenever they're more well-resourced, they can keep the lid on those more easily. So when they're tired, they can't keep the lid on. And these emotions that are here anyway, they're popping out more easily. So, um, but what else is he trying to, yes, he's tired, um, but what about these emotions underneath? What else is he trying to tell us? So maybe he, it's his way of telling you that he's, you know, he's had a hard time at preschool that day. It's a long day for them. And, you know, even the best preschool in the world, it can be exhausting. There are lots of rules. The teachers are telling you to sit still. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's his way of just showing you um, this is, you know, this is what I'm carrying home to you. This is what I'm showing you. And kids can't sit down and go, hey, mom, today was a bit tough. You know, I fell out with my friend and I got told off by the teacher for talking, but I was only talking because somebody talked to me first. And, you know, all of these things that they're holding in all day. So they come home and they show you through their behavior what's going on. And I think you are, I think you've got that. I think you are aware of that. Um, so um, the other thing is, is that sometimes whenever children have those big feelings and they're running around and everything feels quite chaotic, that they're actually signaling for help, you know, help, I'm feeling out of control here. I need you to come in with your calm nervous system and take control of the situation really gently, really kindly, but I need your help in this situation. Okay, so um, what, what can help? What can help with this? So um, what can, so basically what's going on is a com whenever our children's behavior goes off track, what's really going on? Um, there's a combination of two things. First of all, they can feel disconnected. So they've spent all day away from you. 
So they're not feeling very connected to you. And that that signals danger for children. So they need to reconnect and feel that strong sense of connection with you again. The other thing that's often going on is these emotions and stress of the day, things that have happened during the day are bubbling up. So they've got this emotional tension that they need to discharge and get rid of. So the combination of disconnection and emotional tension is a recipe for chaos, disaster um, at dinner time. And, you know, this dinner time is just this red flag that's popping up and, you know, help. I need help with my feelings here. I need help with this sense of disconnection. So what you could do is really take a proactive approach that as soon as you get home from from school um, or as soon as you're back, as soon as you're all back together in the house, you could try to really boost up that connection and a great way to do that is through special time through one-to-one special time another way because I know you've said you've got two um two children um sometimes it can be really really hard to manage a special time and what works really well as well if you can't do individual the individual one-to-one time is so great but if you can't quite stretch to that what can really really help is some physical play all three of you together um so whatever their favorite kind of physical play is it could be chase but I love the real physical body contact like wrestling and pillow fights and rolling around on the bed trying to push each other off the bed trying to pull each other's socks off um piggybacks or you're the buckaroo where they're on your back and you're trying to throw them off and they're taking it in turns or they're both on your back and all that kind of really physical play is like just a massive dose of connection into their system So that would be my starting point is to really try and boost up the connection Um, as as soon as you, you know, just to reconnect as soon as you come together again after after the day apart. And with that often comes tears because you boost up the connection and then they feel safe enough to say, mom, this is how I really feel. This is all the hard stuff that happens. And they might need they might need to cry. They might need to tantrum. So just build that into the time. You know, if you've got 20 minutes for, for some rough and tumble play, do the rough and tumble for 10 minutes and expect at the end to be some upset and to build in some time to listen to whatever upset comes up. Um, but that can go a really long way, like proactively to help with this. Um, and then um, right before right before dinner time, what can really help is a boost of connection before meal times. So you can have maybe the, you know that the dinner is you know, about five minutes away from being ready. Um, and you can just invite a, a game of chase or some what can really help is these power reversal games because they've been at school all day, been told what to do. They've been, you know, somebody else has been in charge that when you can um, fl- flick, uh, flip, the, flip the tables, it's not the same. I don't know if I got that right. <laughs> flip the script um, and um, let them be the more powerful one. So if you're playing chase with them, you can't catch them or they're pushing you over and you're, you know, you're so surprised that they can push you over and you must not push me over again. And they're pushing you over. You're falling onto the sofa. Like those kind of power reversal games where you get the, really get the giggles going. It has the, it has the advantage that you're pouring in connection and also that they have that sense of power for once. Um, so that, that can go a long way to helping their behavior once it is time to sit down at the table. Um, so then um, the other thing I would say, I mean, you've already mentioned this around expectations is to keep the expectations um, fairly low um, and, you know, they're tired, they're young, you know, just keep mealtimes really short um, keep them as stress free as possible. If there's like stress and, and you know, if, if everybody's feeling, you know, if there's an atmosphere at the table, you know, then they're not going to enjoy that. So if you can, you'll make it fun to sit at the table and keep it really short. 
Um, and the other thing is as well, whenever you've played, you've, you've poured in the connection, you've played some games. The other thing is it's okay then just to set the limit as well, like really gently and even playfully, like, oh, oh you're trying to climb down. It's time to set the table now. And if you can really warmly just hold that limit of, you know, that expectation really that you're going to sit there and whether they're sitting on your knee or you're right there really close to them. Um, and then really trying, and if there's big feelings there, you can just listen to whatever fear, whatever tears are coming up. And yeah, you know, it's important that you, you know, you, you sit at the table now, I'm not going to let you down. Um, and so it's okay to have that limit there and to listen to those feelings that come out underneath. Um, and then, you know, and make it fun as well, you know, um, make up funny words for the food or, you know, put on a funny food song that you can pick up on Spotify or, um, you know, do make, make it fun and lighthearted um, so that they enjoy that connection, that, that mealtimes are a time for connection. And then the final little piece of the puzzle is that, you know, I know that you're probably tired, you're probably fed up. So um, the more you can work on your own feelings that are coming up and get the emotional support that you need um, and to work on, you know, what, what were mealtimes like for you? Was it very strict? Were you expected to behave in a certain way? Was it very rigid? Was there harsh punishments? Like if you can start to explore that and get into the nitty gritty of that, then you might be able to relax a little bit more at mealtimes, be a little bit more patient, be more willing to offer connection. And the best way for me to do that is, is through listening partnerships. You can also do things like talking to, you know, talking to a good friend about it and journaling about it. But listening partnerships are a really powerful way to explore all of that. Um, and and that will that will increase your capacity to support your kids when they're sitting at the dinner table. Um, so those are my thoughts. I actually wrote a blog article about this for Hand in Hand Parenting, which I'll put the link for that um, in the show notes. So it sets out more ideas and more of my thoughts around supporting your children to sit up at the dinner table. So um, you could certainly have a read of that as well for a little bit more information. But um, amazing, amazing, Melina, that you're thinking of ways to support your kids in a gentle way with mealtimes it sounds like you're doing things very differently from how you were raised and that's a lovely gift to your to your kids and um, that you are sitting you know you're here you're reaching out you're asking for support around this and you're trying to figure out the best way to make this part of your day go smoothly for everybody and bring more connection in and it's such a lovely thing such a lovely gift to your kids okay so the the Final, the next and the I think will be the last question I'll answer is from Alice. And Alice says she's been using, um, she says, I have been using some of your techniques and it's working well. Things are much better here. Um, and yay, Alice, I'm so delighted to hear that, that you're focusing on connection, you're using the tools, things have got easier. It makes a huge difference. So I am celebrating all that you are doing in your family. Um, to make things go more smoothly. I'm really celebrating that because I know what how hard that is um, to do things differently and to constantly reach for connection and to constantly reach for these tools and to prioritize that. It takes a lot of effort, but it really pays off. And I'm so glad that you're noticing that payoff and I'm celebrating all that you're doing. Um, but you say we still have a big issue when there are guests. Behaviors that are unacceptable resurface full force. We had my mother visiting for two weeks and it went on all day, every day, hitting, constant yelling out, noises, um, total disruption. Um, and the day she left, all went quiet again. I get it, but what to do about it? 
it happens with any outside adult and he loves his grandma um, and doesn't happen when she's alone with him. Okay, so this is this is really interesting situation. So let's ask those questions again. You know, um, what's going on here? Um, what's going on with your with your son whenever grand, grandma comes to stay? And, you know, it is telling that it doesn't happen when he's alone with grandma. And of course, because you are his safe person, you're the person he feels safest with. And you're the person he has that really strong connection with, even though he loves his granny. You're the primary primary caregiver. You know, you're the one whose connection really matters with him. So, of course, this behavior comes out when you're around and not with other people. And I know it can feel like an insult, you know, like our kids seem to behave well for everybody else. And it's us that they act up around. But that is actually the biggest compliment. It might feel like a compliment in the minute, in the minute, in the moment, whenever you're trying to support them. But um you're you're the the butt of all this bad the, the, the want to say bad behavior the tricky difficult off track behavior um but it is a big compliment that our children are really showing us what's going on under the surface there um and so what what is he trying to what's he trying to tell you in the in this moment so once again as in what i was talking about in the previous question it's this idea of the reason our children the reason our children's behavior goes off track it's not because they are doing it on purpose. It's not because um, they're bad kids in any way or they don't know how to behave and they need, we need to punish them to teach them or we need to reward their behavior. None of that. That's not actually the cause of children's tricky behavior. The cause of children's be behavior is either a loss of their sense of connection with you or some big feelings coming up um, underneath. This, this idea of the emotional tension there's these feelings that are often from past things that they get triggered in the moment they come up and um then their behavior goes off track i mean the, the the other the other thing is whenever there is a need that isn't being met so that's important as well if you know if your child isn't getting a need met they're not being heard they're not being listened to they're hungry they're tired like all of those things can result in difficult behavior as well um, so it's important just to see what, what needs aren't being met as well. OK, so but what's going on here in this situation? So is it, you know, um, is it are there some needs that aren't being met? Is it a loss of connection? Are there some big feelings under the surface? So and in this case, um, the, it's it's a little bit hard to know without I'll give some suggestions and you will know maybe what the dynamic is and what's going on. And hopefully it'll be helpful. But, you know, is it possible that he is losing his sense of connection with you whenever um, you have other adults in the house? So maybe you aren't able, you know, especially if you're um, if your mother is visiting for two weeks. I'm sure that your routine is it looks different whenever your your mum is there. So are there areas that uh, he is losing that sense of connection with you that you aren't able to spend the same amount of time, like either playing with him or um, connecting with him in some way and he is noticing that and he is signaling to you hey this is different I, I, this doesn't feel right um I, I need that strong sense of connection with you and some kids need that sense of connection a lot more than other kids so one kid will be completely fine with it another kid won't be and it tends to be our very sensitive kiddos that really need to feel that strong sense of connection so perhaps he is is has lost that sense of connection with you or um you know perhaps you find it stressful um, to have other people in the house that you are busy taking care of them. Um, you know, you have, uh, you know, you're, you're 
or even just talking to them or maybe it's difficult maybe there's some tension there I don't know um what the situation is or what the relationships are like there but to me what's something that's going on there is there's some shift um in um that that relationship that he's that, that attunement to him and that relationship that you have with him that he's noticing a difference there and that's bringing up some big feelings for him you know um, you know, maybe your behavior changes, you're less available, maybe you have higher expectations when granny is around and he picks up on that, that stress. Um, maybe you get stressed that things aren't going well and he's very sensitive, he's picking up on all that. Um, so that's some thoughts about what might be going on. But either way, the reason for this kind of off-track behavior is a combination of this lack of connection with you and these unexpressed feelings. So what can you actually do about it? So I would say the more that you can um, ensure that he feels that strong sense of connection with you, the better things are going to go. So I'm I'm wondering if you are doing regular special time and you could actually really bump that up in the days before grandma visits. And while grandma is there, you could try and do special time, like even just for five minutes every morning before, you know, maybe you could go into his room. And whenever he wakes up and you could just stay there for five or 10 minutes and do a little bit of special time, because when he knows that guaranteed he's going to get your one to one attention at some point that day, then everything is going to go better. So special time is really this big investment in your relationship and you answering his need for connection. So. Um, uh, so if you can if you can build that in for some kids. Whenever they really notice this change in relationship and this change in sense of connection when somebody else is around, sometimes what's better than doing a big, long special time of 20 minutes is to do little short, like five minutes in the morning, five minutes when he comes back from school, five minutes after dinner, five minutes before bed, like these little um, shots of connection, these little reminders to him that you're important to me. I see you. Um, I know granny's here. Things are different, but I'm still here with you through all of this. So that can make a huge difference. Um, the other thing is, if he's got a lot of accumulated feelings, then um, and they're popping up whenever granny's around for whatever reason, that you know what you can do is really proactively use limits. So you can you can really set limits early and often. So as, at the first sign, and you know instead of hoping that things will change and things will get better, at the first sign of things not going well, you can get in there early and set a limit. You know, so as soon as you see his behaviour get you know, the excitement levels rising and you know and that could be another thing maybe he's just super excited to have other adults around and he's just getting like he's, he's just ramping up and, and then he's kind of losing control like this of this you know the excitement gets too much for him he gets overwhelmed by it so possibly at the first sign of um his behavior ramping up like that that you can set a limit and if you can listen to any feelings that are coming up I know this can be super hard when you've got um grandparents around this isn't how they raised you probably they mightn't have that awareness of the importance of feelings being expressed and um, so maybe in the run-up to granny coming you can really you know whenever you're in the house there with the kids yourself you can really look and see am I listening to feelings am I um giving space for feelings or am I maybe distracting or working around them or fixing things so that these feelings aren't coming up the more that you can proactively listen to feelings um, at different times, whenever there's nobody else around, whenever you've got the, the privacy and the safety to do it, that's going to pay off. You're going to empty out that emotional backpack. So the more you can do that in the run up to um, people coming to visit or, or your grandma or his grandma coming, the more he can empty out, you can help him to empty out his emotional backpack. And hopefully the more calm he will be able to be.
So, but I know I get that it's it's really hard to listen to feelings when there's other adults around who maybe aren't following this approach. The other thing I just remembered about excitement, like, you know, if it is, if you think maybe it is a case that he just gets so excited, you know, that this is just so exciting for him to have you there and also his granny there who he really loves and he just wants to show off and be really like outgoing and then he just, it just gets too much for him. If you think that might be what's going on, then I think meeting that with physical play would be really, really helpful. So set a timer for 10 minutes take him off to the playroom or a bedroom or whatever and have a big wrestle or big piggyback race or bring him to the park and have a big game of chase where you know he's he gets the upper hand and he's the more powerful one all those types of things are really going to help him um not just burn off that energy but really to act out that excitement and that energy that you know um, and really feel in control and um have all that connection as well I think that might really really help if you think it's the excitement getting the better of him um, and the other thing is, is just to get lots of support for yourself, because when you have other adults in the house, it can be it can, that can be really helpful. It can also be really, really difficult. So big feelings are coming up for you around your having your mum there. Is she judging you? Is she you know, commenting on things? I mean, maybe she's super supportive and that is great. And um, often these old dynamics come up um, with our own parents. We're in close emotional relationship with them. These old childhood feelings can come up for us. It can be quite triggering. So if that's the case, I would invite you to get lots and lots of support for yourself through listening partnerships um, and help you sort through what's going on there. And when you do that, you, you will naturally be more available to your child and be able to um, support him and, and find more creative ways of supporting him when you're not weighed down by your own uh, your own feelings, your own fears, your own worries. Um, you're much you'll be much more able to meet him with what he needs and intuitively you'll be able to figure out exactly what he needs in those moments when you clear all that debris out from your own system so Alice I hope that's helpful um I can see you're working so hard on this um you're really uh prioritizing his emotional world and being able to support him in that way and I can see how much you're prioritizing responding to him in gentle and respectful ways so I just want to really celebrate that um, and acknowledge all the really hard work that you're doing um, so yeah I hope that's helpful okay so I think those are th those are all my questions for today I hope you have enjoyed this episode I think it's always so helpful to hear what other parents are going through um, and get an idea of what's happening for other people because it's all you can see it's all these it, it's such common recurring issues that are going on for people and we can often feel so isolated when we're on our own with our children and we think everybody else has got it figured out and we're the only one having big struggles so I hope that this episode as well has helped you to see you know that um, you're not alone with this and that um, we all have our own struggles with parenting um, and we can all uh, we, you know, the more support we can get as a parent, then the more we're able to respond to our children patiently and respectively and intuitively we can we can support them. So um, if you'd like to learn more about these ideas, then I have my wonderful Why Your Kids Won't Listen masterclass coming up on um, this, this coming Tuesday, the 8th of November. It is free. It is really good fun. It is inspiring and motivating the parents who come live absolutely love the energy of it and get so much from it I get such good feedback every time I run it so um I invite you to come along 
I invite you to invite a friend along as well. Um, the link to sign up is in the show notes. And on that call, I'll be um, I'll be letting people know that the doors are open, opening to my um, Peaceful Parent School, which is starting in January. Um, and this is a six month container for parents to get the support that they need to get to, to get coaching and support from me to get the support of community of community of other parents to break down that sense of isolation um, and to feel super supported so that um, you can parent in this respectful way looking beyond the behaviors looking at the emotions supporting yourself as a parent so you, and then you know supporting your kids with their emotions so they grow, grow their emotional intelligence. And this is a lifelong skill. This will stand to them. This will help them navigate all the ups and downs of life that, um, that's, you know, that life inevitably throws at us, these challenges. And for me, that's the really important thing is, is learning the skills and teaching those skills to our kids of how they can navigate the ups and downs of life and how we can support them with that, that they have the emotional intelligence to do that. So that's what we, that's what we do in the Peaceful Parent School. So um. Uh, look out for more details of that coming it has been absolutely lovely to talk to you today I'll talk to you again next time would you like to get your kids listening so you don't have to shout and instead you can start enjoying being a parent then pop along to my website pamtheparentcoach.com or follow the link in the show notes to get signed up to my next virtual masterclass see you next time